friends, welcome back to The Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We're here just to help you keep up with the literature, and we do that by making it simple, by spoon-feeding it to you. Now, let's take a quick look ahead at everything that we'll be covering from this week. From the first article, how often are we mistriaging? After that, fever and leg pain, should you get blood cultures? Then a really subtle ECG finding. After that, if I give my patient opioids for abdominal pain, are they more likely to come back? And finally, sub-Q insulin for non-severe DKA is actually pretty great. If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, they're all great articles. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you will have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we don't ever want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, get in touch. We'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week's summaries, where I take articles written by our authors Jason Lesnick, Christian Geralt, Kitan Patel, Laura Murphy, and Clay Smith, and then I put a little bit of my own spin on them. All right, let's jump into the first article titled Evaluation of Emergency Severity Index in U.S. Emergency Departments for the Rate of Mistriage out of the JAMA Network Open. Now, there are many, many different triage systems out there, each of which has its own strengths and weaknesses. The Emergency Severity Index, or ESI, is used by more than 70% of emergency departments in the United States. So, if it's making mistakes, then it's making a lot of mistakes. It's a lot of triaged patients. We need to know how much it mistriages and what factors are associated with those mistakes. That way, we can design better systems, hopefully, in the future. This was a huge retrospective study of 21 emergency departments in the Kaiser Permanente, North California system that included more than 5.3 million patient encounters from 2016 to 2020. Let's talk about how ESI works. It's relatively simple. It's an algorithm that asks a series of questions to attempt to determine the acuity with which a patient needs to be seen. This could result in the patient being given a number from 1 to 5, where 1 is the highest acuity and 5 is low acuity. I'm sure you're all familiar with something like this. The algorithm goes something like this. If the patient requires immediate life-saving interventions, then they're category 1. If not, then you ask the question, do they have high-risk situations? Are they confused? They're lethargic, disoriented, have severe pain or distress? Then they're category 2 patients. After that, it depends on how many resources this patient is likely to require, which I'm going to say it is a little bit self-serving because that doesn't necessarily relate all that much to the patient's condition. If you need no resources, you're category 5. If you need one resource, you're category 4. If you need many resources, then you're category 3 with the option to upgrade to category 2 if their vital signs are abnormal. The authors developed definitions to measure under and over triages so that they could assess the accuracy of ESI. They created an algorithm that could review patient visit data to determine whether patients were properly triaged. I won't go through the definitions of under and over triage. They're pretty straightforward. The levels assigned were pretty much normally distributed, which I think was actually kind of cool. Most of them, most of the cases, most of the patients are category 3, 60% of them. 
and then twos and fours on either side of three were around 19% of patients. And then ones and fives were each around 1%. It's pretty neat. I would have thought fours would be more common than twos, which actually kind of speaks to the competence of primary care systems. Remember that level three patients require more than one resource. Anyways, how accurate were these categories? Being assigned level one or two, so patients who require life-stabilizing interventions, was only 66% sensitive and 83% specific. That's a lot of misses. On the other end, fours and fives, pretty similar, 50% sensitive, but 97% specific. That breaks down to mean that 60% of patients who should have been level one were under triaged, with 25% of those under triages being a three or less. What makes it more likely for a patient to be mistriaged? Well, if they're young, male, and black, then they were more likely to be mistriaged in either direction, either up or down, compared to if the patient was older, female, and white. You were also more likely to be triaged in either direction, remember up or down, if you were from a poor neighborhood or arrived during non-office hours, for I don't know whatever reason that would be. That's being triaged up or down. What about specifically under-triaged? This happens more likely if you arrived by ambulance, are taking insulin or sulfonylureas, had a high comorbidity burden, or were recently admitted to the ICU. All of those things sound like obvious stuff that would kind of raise a little bit of red flag somewhere in the back of your mind, but you'll have noticed that the algorithm described doesn't account for details like that about patients. It's not that granular. Pretty cool to know the numbers, though, either way. I think that was neat. But what a mess this makes this sound. Those sensitivities and specificities were not very good. Way to go for the authors for doing such an enormous study, though. Now, here is my kind of personal take. You might think that this data is a little bit disheartening. You might be a little bit disappointed in ESI. But we may never be able to do all that much better than that. The triage system, as we use it, is kind of severely flawed. We triage patients usually once. They might get a reassessment at some later date, but whatever. And that's just a snapshot. And we don't have a crystal ball about what's going to happen in the future. Also, we do it when they first arrive, which is when we know the least about them. A better system would be a continuous triage from the moment that they enter until they're seen. This couldn't be done by people, but it could be done by a computer. And hopefully that's coming. In a spoonful, don't be surprised when patients are mistriaged. The emergency severity index mistriaged about one in three patients. Then let's skip to the fourth article, titled Return Rates for Opioid versus Non-Opioid Management of Patients with Abdominal Pain in the Emergency Department out of the Journal of Emergency Medicine. Abdominal pain is really common, which is not at all surprising. Most of your vital organs are all clustered together in the same spot. Lots of reasons to have pain there. Now, how do we often treat pain with opioids and a host of other options? The same opioids which are causing a serious crisis in North America. These authors wanted to see if a receiving opioids in the emergency department was associated with higher rates of return. There is some relevant concern here, since opioid use in the ED has been linked to long-term use disorders. This is a really fair concern, but I think this article didn't really comment on that very well and went way overboard. 
They found that patients who received opioids for their abdominal pain and were discharged from the emergency department were significantly more likely to return again in the next 30 days for the same complaint. Odds ratio of 1.57 compared to those who received NSAIDs, acetaminophen, or both. No other medications. The authors did their best to ignore that this could be because probably the abdominal pain was more severe, and so these patients might have a more severe pathology that kind of went away, they might come back. And what they really wanted to do was point out that perhaps, 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 that actually their return visits were because of the side effects of opioids, like nausea, constipation, or addiction. But then we likely wouldn't have even captured them in this study since they wouldn't have been returning for the same complaint. Now, this is all association as well. None of this is causation at all. I think most people give opioids for more severe pain that's not going to be controlled by an NSAID or Tylenol. So yeah, these people probably had a higher chance of returning. They didn't even include patients who received other medications. So if you treated a renal colic's nausea with something other than NSAIDs and Tylenol, then they would not have been included in this study. The patients advocated for use of medications other than opioids to control pain, but they didn't want to look at them in this study. It's all an odd choice. And talk about spin in this article. This article didn't even feel like it was trying to be objective since it was frankly anti-opioid at every turn and urged the use of non-opioid analgesics, which is fair. I think that's a great movement. But it's not a recommendation that you can make based on this data. They actually cited four articles with similar findings, but most of which had higher methodological quality than this one. So why are you doing this study at all? In fact, like I said, if you had given other non-opioid analgesics, they wouldn't have been included in this study. The authors do mention that opioids as analgesia isn't well supported by evidence to be effective in vague abdominal pain. But I'd almost argue it was too effective in this case because all of these patients went home and then they came back because they were still having abdominal pain. So maybe it took away their pain too well? This is kind of a useless paper in my opinion. The opioid crisis is a real problem, do not get me wrong. Please conduct research that meaningfully contributes to its betterment. Not like this. In a spoonful, patients who receive opioids in the emergency department were more likely to return in the next 30 days. Don't read into that too much. Okay, that's all I've got. Let's do our wrap up. From the first paper, mistriage by the emergency severity index was as common as one in every three patients. That's pretty big. Then from the fourth article, uh, do I have to revisit this paper? I get the sentiment. I just don't like the delivery. My take was more like if you have more severe abdominal pain, you're probably more likely to come back because of it. Is the opioids causing your return visit? I don't know. I get it could contribute. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best place to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. If you feel like you're missing out, you would have rather to hear more podcasts or get access to the blog, then please come join us in the members feed. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time.